NSA doesn't want you to hear. Now here is your host, Leno Sanic. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Black Op Radio. In this segment we're going to be speaking to author, uh, researcher, Ray McGinnis. Hello Ray. Good to speak with you, Len. Very good to speak with you. I've always looked up to anything you're doing, and uh, an article that caught my attention was you did a critique of the uh, Burns documentary, The Vietnam War, Riding the Tiger, and um, we're going to talk about that today. Uh, so first first of all, where is this at? Where do we find it? Okay, the, uh, the article... Uh... Uh, is available on a European website called propagandainfocus.com. So just runs all together, propaganda in as an I-N and then focus.com. And uh, you just look at it, just enter my name, Ray, and then McGinnis is M-C-G-I-N-N-I-S for a search, and then it'll show up. Good. I'll We'll make a link in the show notes that we always do, but in case somebody was just logged on listening right now, if they wanted to quickly follow along with, with your article that we're going to get into. It's so refreshing that I'm always let down by articles or documentaries that are, for lack of better, well, I hate to say fake news, but they're just not the truth. And I'm just, I find it so refreshing to read something or watch a documentary and go, yeah, that's how it is. Now, it could be uncomfortable. Uh, you could be talking about, uh, I don't know, COVID-19 or anything or or um, 9-11. But when somebody says, well, look, this is what really happened. If it's uncomfortable for you, fine. Or, you know what, you're going to have to change your mind because we looked into this and here's what we found. I know a little bit about the Vietnam War and I just found it so refreshing that what you have exposed about this documentary that, you know, it's sometimes get somebody gets something wrong. And then, but then you start to see the whole tilt to something, and you go, "How could they've got this many things sideways? It would have yeah. to be on purpose." And then yeah. you know, you, then you talk about agenda, and you know, I was saying earlier something to the effect that I hate to use the word fake news because it kind of identifies you with Donald Trump. But it, you know, fake news is is a propaganda, and this propaganda in focus is a pretty good website. And I, I was so, and as a matter of fact. I had thought that your article was on Kennedys and King, and that's yeah. where I went to look. But um, I had spoken to you previously, I think, about the Canadian uh, truckers. You were one of the few people that went down to, to witness the hearings in person and report. Yeah. And I got a lot of emails saying, thank you for having someone on who was actually there to say, well, here's what they said. And then you can go on CTV or Global News or whatever. And then they're not right. 
they're not really telling you what happened. No. You know, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, like, Len, what, what happens is, like, I mean, I, yeah, I, I had, you know, read a number of books uh, about, you know, Jim Douglas and, and John Newman and a number of books ab- about Kennedy and Vietnam or that touch on on that. But on the evening that I happened to sit down to watch this episode in the fall of 2017, I'm in the middle of what at the time, you know, I used to teach a lot of writing workshops, you know, journal writing, personal memoir, poetry, uh, writing uh, kind of new spiritual poems or psalms. You know, I, I had a book out called Writing the Sacred. So I was on a on a tour and I was going to uh, about uh, 15, 16 different, different towns and cities uh, in the fall of 2017 in Ontario mostly. And, and it happened, uh, I mean, sometimes I'm staying at bed and breakfast, sometimes I put up in a hotel, sometimes I'd be staying with friends because I wanted to see them in the middle of the tour. Eight of the, eight, uh, you know, eight of the household, I mean, uh, uh, several of the households I was, I was, uh, you know, uh, visiting, uh, eight, eight of them were watching uh, this, this, do- this, uh, you know, this documentary uh, t- series. Now, I only happened to see, like, they were talking about it with me over dinner or talking about it with me over breakfast. I only happened to see one episode while it was on, while it was being aired. But uh, the one episode that I saw, and at the time, I would say, uh, not somebody, I mean, I haven't had a TV since 1991 after the Persian Gulf War. I said, you know, I'm just going to keep getting my, my news from the radio and online and, and print media. I'm, I'm tired of the TV. So I'm not somebody who tends to, you know, watch PBS. But if you'd asked me in 2017 what I thought of PBS, I probably would have thought, you know, pretty good stuff. You know, I mean, you know, splitting the difference, they're kind of, you know, on the, on the positive constructive end of things. Uh, but as I got into watching this documentary, I realized early on that there were some problems. And then it was only after I went and dug deeper that I found that there were a whole bunch of problems with what they were saying. Okay, so it's called Riding the Tiger, the yeah. Vietnam War. Let's get into it. How do you want to just start with you? You kind of go minute, like to the two minute mark, five minute mark, yeah. eight yeah. to 10, you know. So as you go through, you kind of highlight where things are in error. Yeah. And uh, there's some big ones. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, you know, of course, the the biggest one that that I certainly knew about it ahead of time is, you know, that the, uh, you know, the the Gulf of Tonkin and how uh, the North Vietnamese gunboats, you know, weren't there and and so on, you know. So I knew that there were problems with with American, you know, media talking points and political talking points from the Johnson administration. McNamara had admitted that nothing happened on August 4th, 64. Okay, you know, oh, you know. pardon me, just yeah. just for someone who doesn't know about that, what happened is the American military, the Navy is offshore, and they're claiming that they were just there on their, whatever, the 50-mile limit or 200, and they were attacked by these gunships from North Vietnam. Yeah. And and uh, there was torpedoes and there was radars and all hell was breaking loose and they're writing back to uh, Washington. We're under attack. Do something, and which leads Lyndon Johnson to say, "Okay, that's it. We're going to preemptively strike where their bases are." And that's the you know a Gulf of Tonkin resolution. That's yeah. what that means. And then 
to find out after the fact that these things were fictitious. Yeah. If not in error, just made up. And then it's it's like, uh, well, you know, we told you we were under attack. But that that's if anybody doesn't know what the Gulf of Tonkin stands for. It's, it's that military action that started the escalation. Yeah. Yeah. So then we go like, you know, like, I mean, I hadn't seen the first episode, but I did know a little bit of history. And, and so at minute two in, in uh, you know, there's this guy called Jack Todd. He's from Nebraska. And, he, and he's saying, you know, I was sure that we were right to be in Vietnam, you know, because it was it started under Kennedy. And to me, JFK was God. Anything he thought was right, I thought was right. I mean, I, I listened to this. I don't know who Jack Todd is from, you know, Adam. And I have no idea. But but I knew, I mean, I knew from books I'd read that, that actually that there was U.S. personnel who died under the Eisenhower administration in Vietnam, you know, from 1957 to 1960, there were, you know, nine people who, who died who were U.S. military personnel, uh, and so, uh, or, C, or CIA personnel. And so it, it's, you know, I, I knew right away, like minute two, <laughs> that there's a problem. And, and so, um, you know, I'm expecting, uh, uh, you know, I've just had a lovely dinner with some friends. I've taught a writing workshop earlier in the day, and they're saying, let's watch this, do this documentary series on PBS. So I'm expecting to just sort of sit down on the couch, relax, just maybe passively <laughs> somewhat watch this documentary and just enjoy it. But two minutes in, I'm already going, hey, wait a minute. You know, because you've got, you know, General Maxwell Taylor uh, had said, you know, famously that that John F. Kennedy was the, quote, one man who was strongly against sending ground troops to Vietnam. And so when they're talking about Jack Todd said this and that he started it, uh, what Burns and Novak should have should have done was say, well, actually, that's not the case. And not only that, but but JFK shot down proposals to send combat troops in May of 61, in October of 61, in November of 61, in January of 62. And they should have alerted the reader to, you know, to correct Jack Todd's uh, presumption, but they don't do that. Okay, so that was at the two-minute mark. You were already got your uh, dander up. Yeah, yeah, because I knew, I mean, I mean, uh, you know, the day after Kennedy was assassinated, well, it was the new president, Lyndon Johnson, who authorized for the first time that U.S. forces would attack North Vietnam and the Viet Cong, and that... Uh, Johnson told Bill Moyers in a, in a memoir uh, that's recorded, he says, Johnson says, I'm not going to let Vietnam go the way of China. I told them, the State Department, the Pentagon, to go back and tell those generals in Saigon that Lyndon Johnson wants them to get off their butts and get out in the jungles and start whipping the hell out of some communists. You know, so, you know, so, I mean, that's when, when the, when the, when the, when the, the White House is, is in favor of, uh, of sending combat troops once Johnson gets into office. And then at minute six, we've got Leslie Galb, you know, who we're introduced to, and there's a little caption underneath his name, you know, Pentagon. But, but Leslie Galb is, he's the guy who was involved, the director of the, of, of the project that produced the Pentagon Papers, which Daniel Ellsberg released to the New York Times in 1971. And among the things in the Pentagon Papers 
uh, is the bombshell that the Pentagon didn't want the American public to know about K President Kennedy's plan uh, from October 1963 to withdraw all personnel from Vietnam, uh, you know, by the end of 64, uh, phase withdrawal, uh, you know, starting with about a thousand people in, you know, December 1963. And so, um, and so to just put Leslie Galb up there, like as a name and not give him any kind of context is, is again, a way of, I mean, it's not fake news. I mean, Leslie Galb was involved with the Pentagon, but but there's an omission of important background story about who this is, that they just, uh, they don't inform the reader about who this is. So it's, it's um, it, you know, the impact, the impact is that people should be, uh, you know, are, are, are innocent uh, about what they're being presented with, whereas there's, a lot more to who this person is that that should make them uh, well. It could take the whole script of the, of the second episode of this documentary series in a whole new direction. Right, but it just like you're saying the omission. They're just giving you the most basic. So if you know nothing about it, you just get oh well. Here's this guy and that guy, and uh, meanwhile, uh, you know his position or things that he did later it, during the you know war, like you say to. Uh, his role in the Pentagon Papers and things like that, you know, in some of these studies. Uh, okay, so we get to like the next the next headline you have is minute eight. Yeah. So, so they so the, the PBS series uh, takes Kennedy to task. Uh, the the narrator tells the viewers for all of John Kennedy's soaring rhetoric, he was able unable to keep the Soviets from building the Berlin Wall, and you know that's true, but. At the same time, Kennedy had stood up to Khrushchev. Uh, in July 25 of 1961, Kennedy gave a speech um, carried by the major, you know, the three major stations at the time, NBC, ABC, and CBS. He told Americans, we cannot and will not permit the communists to drive us out of Berlin, either gradually or by force. Um, he, uh, he got uh, permission from Congress to... Uh, raised the U.S. armed forces to from 875,000 to a million in West Germany. He sent tanks into Berlin at Checkpoint Charlie. Uh, there was this huge standoff, uh, and uh, Khrushchev realized that Kennedy wasn't going to back down, and so the Soviets backed off and um, and uh, welcomed him. And, and then American tanks rolled into West Berlin. So uh, it the, the episode points out um, a problem with or maybe a failing that Kennedy prevent, didn't prevent the Berlin Wall from being built, but doesn't give him credit for doing something else, you know, which, you know, maybe uh, if, thing, if, if Kennedy hadn't uh, stood up to, uh, to Khrushchev in that way, maybe all of Berlin would have gone into Soviet control. Okay, so uh, continuing, um, your next headline is the, uh, or bullet point is, Kennedy's position on Vietnam is obscured. Yeah, so, you, so you've got General Taylor, and General Taylor is one of these people who, 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 who really was a, a hawk who wanted uh, the American troops in Vietnam. And, uh, 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 you know, Taylor came back with a recommendation to send in ground troops, and that's what you learn from watching this episode, a PBS episode. 
But what the what they don't tell um, the the viewer is that the president instructed General Taylor in October of 61 to return from his trip to Vietnam with a recommendation to withdraw personnel from Vietnam. And in fact, when when um, you know he said to Taylor, in your assessment, you should bear in mind that the initial responsibility for the effective maintenance of the independence of South Vietnam rests with the people and government of that country. And so, you know, um, it's clear from minutes in mid-October of 61 that Kennedy had decided again against sending U.S. combat troops. And, and although, you know, Taylor did recommend that Kennedy should send in combat troops, uh, the president was so upset with Taylor's recommendation that he planted a story in the New York Times uh, where the uh, the Times reported that General Taylor had returned from Vietnam, recommending the president withdraw of U.S. personnel from Vietnam. So, so the president said, well, to Taylor, basically, well, if you're going to recommend uh, that that I send troops, I'm going to plant a story in the New York Times saying that you that you're recommending the opposite. So you can see the power struggle between the the president and the uh, you know the, Taylor and the other Joint Chiefs of Staff. And uh, this is really a big deal, deal throughout the whole uh, timeline of the documentary. You know, just uh, the differences between the Joint Chiefs of Staff and President Kennedy. And if, yeah. you know, somebody was to make the case that Kennedy pulling out of Vietnam was the final reason he was removed. And you could say, well, who was it removed by his enemies? Here they all are in one room. Yeah, over and over again, Kennedy is uh, is meeting with the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, hawkish people who who want uh, you know uh, to make their mark, perhaps their legacy that they you know take America into yet one more one more war because that's what some generals think that their purpose in in life in the military is to take the nation to war. Um, for various ideological reasons and egos and other things. And, and, and you've got, you know, you, you've got people like, you know, we meet this guy, Robert Rialt uh, uh, in the 10th minute of this, of this episode, riding the tiger. And he, we, we see the little caption below his name, special forces. Um, and, and yeah, he's special forces, but we don't, we don't learn the following. We don't learn that he's a colonel in the Vietnam war uh, the fifth, fifth special forces group that he and his unit were charged with seeking out leaks in a CIA directed espionage ring, um, that, that he was one of six special forces officers who were arrested by the U S military, um, and threatened with court martial charges for murder and conspiracy to murder, um, uh, regarding an extradition, extradition, judicial killing of Thai, uh, Kak, uh, Chiun. Um, and you know, they, 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 they got this man, they shot him and dumped his body in the South China Sea. Um, and you know, Robert Real would have been aware in his position in the military of the third Geneva convention on the treatment of prisoners of war and so on. Um, so Real's approving, you know, and it just says, you know, you, you get this black backdrop and they zoom up and you see basically just like, a. a uh, a head, you know, with maybe a bit of a shoulder and a black backdrop behind him, and you get special forces. You know what they could have said under his name was um, 
uh, you know, approved, uh, extra, you know, extrajudicial killing, <laughs> you know, this, you know, was, you know, charged up for court martial charges for murder and conspiracy. But, you know, they, they, again, don't, don't give us, um, you know, a context. They, they show us a little bit, a little sliver of what more they could show. And are again, omitting a huge story about, uh, you know, uh, instead of being, interested perhaps in what this guy is saying you might be aghast at who he is you know uh yeah that's it that, that's really it you know like uh, look into the background and and what you're doing is going you know at minute 10 saying you know who this guy is right you, you know what he did as opposed to just the talking head that he appears to be yeah and then i mean at minute 11 is i mean there's just so much you know like i mean think of had, this hang on yeah. <laughs> listeners right we're only into a minute 11 and this is how it's going, you know, like the total. Well, let's just keep going. Yeah. And again, like, I mean, as I'm writing this article, eventually, I'm having to learn a lot because, I mean, something's fishy about their, their talk about the use of napalm. Now, I mostly knew about napalm and the, uh, you know, the, the, you know, the, the images of the nine-year-old Kim Fook running naked down her rural village road, road, you know, well, you know, she's still burning, you know, that famous photo in, in 1972 um, of Agent, you know, Napalm and Agent Orange and everything. But uh, the Dow Chemical Company um, was manufacturing Napalm for the American, for the American Armed Forces um, and their contract to manu manufacture napalm for the U.S. military was from 1965 to 1969. So there's a problem um, painting Kennedy as the person who was who was saying, you know, uh, we're using napalm when the use of napalm doesn't start, in fact, until the 13th and 14th of March, 1965. You know, this is... Uh, you know, you know a, a year and a half after after Kennedy's been assassinated, uh, the New York Times uh, reported to its readers on the 20th of March, 1965, quote, the United States, in a change of policy, is using napalm and aerial strikes against North Vietnam. And the footage of the 1965 March missions uh, with the with the with the, the the bombers dropping napalm is what Burns and Novak show the viewers in their 1961-63 episode of Riding the Tiger. So it's it's a you know they're 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 fudging the chronology and mixing people up. Most people are going to assume, well, surely these bombers dropping napalm. Uh, in this 1961-63 episode, surely those planes doing what they're doing must relate somehow to the 1961-63 timeline. Uh, most viewers aren't going to expect that what they're showing me is 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 bombers in the in, in some several years later doing that. Yeah, and you talk about napalm. Dow Chemical made another uh, number of other chemicals as well in yeah. this. Uh... Warfare, as we heard, like from April Oliver and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, I mean, but what, what? I mean, they're they're kind of like there's. I mean, Kennedy had approved uh, in November of '61 select quote selective and carefully controlled joint program of defoliant operations in Vietnam, um, uh, chemical defoliants and herbicide weapons uh, that 
he was told were safe, inexpensive, and effective, and might thwart the communist advance on South Vietnam. But these herbicides and defoliants, he was assured, were intended for non-lethal purposes and would be used, you know, uh, for clear, you know, for clearing army routes. Now, what President Johnson did, based on on the earlier permission to use herbicides and defoliants, was to switch to swap out the herbicides and defoliants and swap in napalm and Agent Orange. But that's that's something that that you have to put lay at the foot of President Johnson, not President Kennedy. Well, you go through a number of these operations of uh, a bombing that took place and you should just read a few of them i mean it's staggering yeah. well like you've got i mean all of these um all of these missions that happened the the, bo- the bombing operations that involved uh agent orange and napalm you know operation pierce arrow august 5th 64 operation barrel roll december 64 to march of 73 and course operation barrel roll would have started using napalm after march of 65 operation flaming dart from february 65 operation rolling thunder in march of 65 to 68 operation steel tiger from 60 april 65 to november 68 operation arc light from june 65 to august 73 operation tiger hound so from December 65 to November 68 and on. And all of these were approved, not by President Kennedy. After, they, they, were, they were approved after he was assassinated. Yeah, I'll just read a few more. Commando Hunt, Niagara, uh, Operation Menu, yeah. <laughs> Breakfast, Lunch, Dinner, uh, Operation yeah. Patio, Operation <laughs> Freedom, Operation Linebacker 1, Operation Linebacker 2. You know, so if they're going to drop all these defoliants to clear the jungle so they can see where to bomb, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's literally a nightmare with, with no goal in mind. Like, what yeah. are they going to do? I mean, uh, the capital of North Vietnam was Hanoi, right? And if they weren't marching on Hanoi, what were they doing? Well, they're, I mean, they're, in, the, in these operations, they're, uh, you know, after March of 65, they're certainly dropping, uh, <laughs> you know, Agent Orange and, and, and Napalm. I mean, it's the kind of the crazy, I mean, you know, the, the episode is called Riding the Tiger. I mean, you've got all of these names, these military names, you know, Arrow, Pierce Arrow, Flaming Dart, Rolling Thunder, Steel Tiger, Tiger Hound, Commando Hunt. And, and I mean, Operation Menu. I mean, within, within Operation Menu, there were Operation Breakfast, Operation Lunch, Operation Snack, Operation Dinner, Operation Dessert, and Operation Supper. I mean, I guess, you know, it's left to somebody in the, in the Pentagon to come up with these names, but it's just, you know, or Operation Freedom Deal. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's one, one could write a, a, an article just on the choices of operations. You know, you always have Operation whatever in every, in every theater of war, but somebody comes up with these names and, and it's really interesting, you know, you know, I mean, it's not like they're coming up with like Operation Carol Channing. I mean, you know, they have a certain kind of zone within within which and they 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 come up with these names, and they're they're often disturbing. 
Yeah, and um, uh, and there's so many more that you didn't write, but these are just some of them that you put in here, and yeah. um, you know, it's appalling. You know, so, yeah. Uh, well, can, well, let's just continue. I don't need to. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, one of the one of the um, one of the shock one of the, another one of the shocking things about what they what they don't tell us. I mean, they talk about Secretary Ma- McNamara and the president uh, being. Um, you know, I mean, I mean they, the, uh, PBS tells the viewers the administration did its best to hide from the American people the scale of the buildup that was taking place on the other side of the world, fearful that the public would not support the more active role advisors had begun to play in combat. However, what PBS doesn't tell us, which they certainly should have known, I mean, they've got a huge budget to do the research for this very expensive documentary series. So there's no excuse why they couldn't have read JFK and the Unspeakable or, um, you know, JFK and Vietnam by John Newman or others. But no, um, they don't they don't point out that Kennedy and McNamara were being told by General Harkin in, in Saigon that U.S. military advisors um, were, were training the South Vietnamese to um, fight the Viet Cong that um Kennedy and McNamara had authorized only training and specifically forbade combat of U.S. personnel. Uh, but Harkins and Colonel Winterbottom in Saigon withheld crucial information from the president and defense secretary that U.S. personnel were leading airstrikes with South Vietnamese pilots riding in the back of the aircraft. And these airstrikes were primarily involved with Army light helicopter companies equipped with machine guns and auto cannons and gun pods with helicopters, but not bombs. But so like Kennedy is being asked by the press, you know, uh, if he's being candid with the American people. And he says, we have increased our assistance to the government. It's logistics. We have not sent combat troops, though the training missions that we have there have been instructed if they are fired upon, they of course can fire back to protect themselves, but we have not sent combat troops and, in the generally understood sense of the word, so that we feel we are being as frank as we can. What I have said to you is a description of our activity there. And, he, and, he, and this is his description of the activity to the press, because that's what he's being told is, is happening. He's not being told that, that uh, U.S. personnel, that uh, you know, soldiers are, are also involved in, in, in piloting um, aircraft to, to, to shoot. Um, so, so I think it's you know would a, it's a really a, dis, a disservice by PBS to not highlight how uh, people both in the Pentagon in Washington and senior military personnel in in Vietnam in Saigon were deceiving the president and the Secretary of Defense and uh, giving them a rosy picture or telling them not what was going on. Resulting in in statements that uh, uh, reflect a president being misled. That's quite a revelation, because uh, for people who somehow want to blame President Kennedy, and then uh, they're glossing over this that they were hiding things from him, his administration that uh, they, they were doing behind his back. Uh, they were going against his wishes, in which you know culminated with him you know finally issuing orders to pull out we're withdrawing from Vietnam then yeah yeah 
I mean, there, there. I mean, there is the, you know, the, the, uh, the shock of the assassination of President Kennedy on the 22nd of November, 1963. But there has been, uh, by degrees in different places in the in the U.S. media and beyond, an ongoing character assassination of John F. Kennedy. And I think that this kind of, of soft misrepresent, soft and 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 flagrant misrepresentation, of what his. Uh, what he and his administration were trying to do, and and uh, not showing up the the deception that was going on uh, in the Pentagon, uh, is another way in which, you know, the viewer who won't go off and do the homework that I've done, will will come out of watching that episode, feeling, uh, you know, Kennedy's uh, reputation will be tarnished, understandably, because they'll they'll assume that they've been told uh, the truth and nothing but the truth. All right, we get to minute 18 now. Yeah, okay. Okay, so so here we have a clip from Secretary McN uh, Robert McNamara. He makes some statements to the press and says, President DM's strategic Hamlets program is making substantial progress. About 1,600 of the 14,000 Hamlets have been fortified to date. Uh, but we're, PBS doesn't tell the viewers that um, McNamara's commander back in Saigon was you know, airbrushing the story, uh, not telling McNamara about the strategic pro Hamlet program uh, being uh, one of resettling pe peasants off their ancestral lands um, and disintegrating their social fabric <laughs> and, and creating animosity, uh, you know, where, where people were being left in their, in their villages uh, who, who were you know, neutral or perhaps positive toward American interactions were now um, troubled and hostile towards the Americans for doing this strategic Hamlet program. And, and so, um, you know, General Magar in Saigon is directing that all Hamlets in the region be moved bodily into new locations. And so you also have a situation where everybody... Uh, in these villages is now having to live in an area where they're unfamiliar. You know, it, it's like, it's like, I mean, like somebody being told, okay, you've got 24 hours to leave St. Louis and now we're going to move you to Omaha or, or, you know, you, you know, you're, you have to get out of New Orleans and now you're going to live in Baltimore or, or, uh, or Portland, Oregon. I mean, you know, anytime I mean, people ha have to be dislocated quickly, uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it takes time to adapt to your new setting. And so you've got all these people now in, uh, in Vietnam uh, who, are, who are dealing with dislocation. And this is also undermining the goodwill of the South Vietnamese people toward both their government and, and the Americans. As well, um, uh, you know, the strategic hamlets were being built in areas where there was there weren't any Viet Cong, you know. So like on the one, uh, so the, like they're trying to say, oh, we got strategic hamlets in an area kind of advancing on 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 the North Vietnamese or whatever. But but this was not not the case at all. Um, and then and then you've got this 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 thing about the uh, the the sixth uh, defense uh, conference um, uh, in. July of 62, 
You've got General Harkin, Paul Harkin, bragging that 2,400 strategic hamlets have been built and 6,000 would be in place by the end of 62. And, and Robert McNamara thinks this is great um, since there had been no strategic hamlets at the beginning of, of 62. Um, and so uh, McNamara asked Harkins, how long would it take before the Viet Cong could be eliminated as a disturbing force? And Harkins replies, one year. Um, McNamara doesn't know that most strategic hamlets are, um, are allied with the, uh, with the DM government or actually Viet Cong strongholds. So it's, it's, all, it's all mixed up. Um, and, and so the impression uh, about what's going on uh, is completely the opposite. Um, McNamara goes, goes ahead with his comprehensive plan for South Vietnam that included withdrawal of, of all military and intelligence personnel assisting the Vietnamese government forces. Part of this, you know, is also partly because McNamara thinks the strategic Hamlet program is going so well. I guess we can get out of Vietnam, you know, by 65 or so at that point, he's thinking. Okay, yeah. No. And now we get into minute 20, Rufus yeah. Phillips. Yeah, so Rufus Phillips, we get the little caption below. He has U.S. aid, um, but we don't know he's a CIA officer. He uh, studied under Edward Lansdale. Um, Lansdale was the uh, real-life CIA agent that inspired Graham Greene's novel, The Quiet American, set in Saigon in 1952, and that as a CIA agent in Vietnam, Lansdale arranged for the CIA to arm uh, a renegade general, uh, Trinh Minh Thay's militia with American weaponry and instigated terrorist bombings in, in Saigon, and blaming them on the Viet Cong. You know, can, uh, I, can I just interrupt yeah. there? Because sure. uh, for some people who are maybe lukewarm to this idea, what you're saying is, and it is a known fact, that Ed Lansdale was a CIA officer. And yeah. when he shows up there in an Air Force general uniform, he's just pretending to be an Air Force general. It's not like he was a pilot or anything. Yeah. You know? So he was a CIA officer very close to Alan Dulles. And then he was a colonel and then he's an Air Force general. And you can read about how he got that promotion. But here he is running the Saigon military mission, right? And like Fletcher Prouty says, it wasn't a mission and it wasn't in, um, in Saigon. You know, it was a CIA covert actions that were run by Ed Lansdale. Yeah, exactly. And, and so you've got Rufus Phillips being introduced at, uh, at minute 20 here, who's, who has all of this connection with Edward Lansdale, who's part of this right wing, uh, you know, ultra right wing faction within the CIA. And is also, I mean, Phillips was also involved, uh, connected to General Curtis LeMay's contingent in the Pentagon, who wanted to drop nuclear bombs, atom bombs, uh, on, you know, in Vietnam, in South Vietnam, North Vietnam, and in China. So, so again, uh, it's, it's, it's another case of omission, uh, it's nice to know that that Rufus Phillips is a U.S. aide, but there's so much more to say about him. Uh, and so when we listen to him in this uh, episode, Riding the Tiger, 
were again given an airbrushed story uh, or impression about who he is. And then it should be a little uh, footprint for what USAID really is representing. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> the, uh, the, the connection between USAID and, and the CIA is kind of like a front for the CIA so often. Right, you know. And as Fletcher has said, A in CIA, it's an agency. So who is it really working for then? Is it working for Sullivan Cromwell, Alan Dulles, and the big business of America? Or is it working for the Defense Department? And in these cases, when you see these things going contrary to what the president wanted, the Secretary of Defense is trying to organize. And behind their backs, this is what's going on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you wonder, you know, who who is really, you know, who, who's how does the government really run and who really runs the government? That's a question. And 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 so when we get we get into, uh, you know, minute 21, we learn about the death of Pete Hunting, somebody I'd never heard of before, who's an international voluntary service member. Uh I, you know, and, he, and, and we're hearing about, you know, Jill Hunting and her book, Finding Pete, Rediscovering the Brother I Lost in Vietnam. And in this episode, it seems really clear that John F. Kennedy is, uh, is responsible for Pete Hunting's death somehow. So I just watched this and I assumed that Pete Hunting must have died before November 22nd, 1963. Uh, but... Pete Hunting served in the International Voluntary Service from July of 63 to November 1965, two years after the president was assassinated. You know, so he died in November 12, 65 in the Mekong Delta. So, uh, you know, the, you know, Pete Hunting's death is, is a result uh, not of President Kennedy's, uh, you know, mishandling of things, but the result of, of President Johnson's uh, reversal to withdraw uh, uh, Vietnam, you know, personnel from Vietnam and to go full stream ahead with the, uh, the Gulf of Tonkin and the escalation of war, you know, which led eventually to the deaths of many Americans, including Pete Hunting in November of 65. So again, it, it's, it's, it, 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 it strains credulity to think that, that researchers, editors, scriptwriters, carefully paying attention to things like chronology could not notice this uh, this mistake. All right. It's another thing they could, you know, so many things they try to kind of imply that, well, this is Kennedy's fault, the whole thing. He started this whole thing, and then Johnson had to kind of clean it up. And it, nothing could be further from the truth. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um so so we've got um, you know minute 29 we get you know more of uh, Ruf, Rufus Phillips um, recalling that Edward Lansdale told Secretary McNamara that his statistics didn't include the feelings of the Vietnam Vietnamese people um, doesn't doesn't mention that Lansdale uh, sabotaged Kennedy's first initiative in 61 of of tying any U.S. aid to the South Vietnamese Army, uh, Lansdale uh, was was having side conversations with uh, uh, with DM and South Vietnam. Um, uh, 
giving reports, uh, falsely rosy reports on the estimates of the progress of democratic reforms in, in South Vietnam to, uh, to, to encourage uh, Kennedy, um, you know, to, to, you know, to keep American involvement to the degree he, that he was doing that. Um, there's a scholar uh, and historian, Thomas Bass, that points out that Rufus Phillips uh, was, he, he calls um, Rufus Phillips one of general uh, CIA agent Edward Lansdale's, quote, black artists who, who was involved in psychological operations and counterinsurgency. Um, and the comment, like, you know, Edward Lansdale, uh, you know, saying that, that Robert McNamara didn't care about the feelings of the Vietnamese people, uh, given all the things that Edward Lansdale did, uh, psychological operations, counterinsurgency, bombings, and so on, uh, hardly, Edward Lansdale hardly, hardly want to talk about caring about the feelings of the Vietnamese people. Yeah, and all you have to do is uh, look into the uh, history of those psychological operations uh, that, that Lansdale played there in Vietnam yeah. and other places. Yeah, yeah. So just one minute later, we got a lot of stuff happening in this in this uh, episode, uh, PBS episode. We get to meet uh, CIA agent Donald Gregg. Um, uh, we don't learn about Gregg's inv involvement in Operation Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix targeted uh, civilians, uh, not soldiers. Uh, the CIA estimated that 41,000 Vietnamese civilians were killed under Operation Phoenix. Um, this was a program launched under President Johnson. And, uh, I mean, you know, th these people appear over and over again. Donald Gregg was later one of the principal players in the uh, Iran-Contra scandal, along with uh, Oliver North. Um, Gregg was not indicted, but he was adjunct staff, staff to Robert McFarlane, who was also uh, wrapped up in the scandal for Iran-Contra. Uh, so, you know, again, you've got somebody who's being interviewed, but you're not providing a context for the viewer to understand who it is, uh, you know, that they're meeting in the, in, the, in, the, in the episode. Well, this is one of the things that I start to see in your article, how many times they're mentioning the CIA and how many times that CIA is coming through. And yet, uh, you know, when did the Marines get in there? 65? Yeah, but uh, there's so much going on with the agency. Uh, you know, that's I think that um, Kennedy firing Alan Dulles and Cabal. Uh, you know, that's when a backlash happened. Yeah. yeah. Now one of the, one of the biggest uh, surprises uh, in terms of what goes on in this episode uh, is is a muddling of of you know, of, of statistics and order of battle estimates. And I know uh, there's probably a lot of people who, who watch, uh, who watch uh, the, the episode like this might not be good with statistics themselves. And so they maybe they, they, their eyes glaze over. Uh, the, the PBS narrator tells the viewers at the request of Secretary McNamara, General Harkins, Paul Harkins and his staff, mountains of daily, weekly, monthly, and quarterly data from more than 100 separate indicators as uh, far more data that then could be adequately analyzed. And so um, this is one of the things that happens from time to time 
in the in the media and in uh, in 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 documentaries like this that that are that seem to have um, uh, an agenda. Uh, let's uh, let's present a story uh, where people in charge are just so overwhelmed by by what's going on that they just can't make head nor tail of what they're supposed to, what of, of what their job is. You know, it'd be like. It'd be like saying to you, Len. Well, I don't know how you could ever, ever have a, a single episode or interview, and you know, because like it's a, it's a studio and there's so much equipment. You know, how could you ever interview somebody? It's like, <laughs> you know, trying to, you know, assume that the people in charge could can't possibly cope. Uh, they don't bother telling the viewer why Robert McNamara wanted the statistics. Uh, McNamara wanted what's called the order of battle estimates. An order of battle estimate is a request by a commanding officer of the assessment of the armed force for participating in a military operation. And the order of battle shows uh, the command structure, the strength, disposition of personnel, the equipment formations of the armed forces. And, and it's prepared by, uh, you know, people in the Pacific Command for, you know, which includes Vietnam, for the defense secretary. And you have these order of battle team people, George Allen, William Benedict, um, Sam Dowling, Lou Tixier, Jim Harris. And they're doing their six weeks of field research. And this order of battle, order of battle team completed their study by mid-April of 62. They visited all 44 South Vietnamese provinces and they estimated the number of Vietnam Cong, the Viet Cong fighters was in the 40 to 50,000 range. Um, but the order of battle team, the this, this six uh, researchers, are, are commanded by Colonel uh, James Winter, Winterbottom, who orders the order of battle team to lower the figures in their report of the Viet Cong from 50,000 down to 20,000. And then it's brought to General Harkins. And General Harkins demands the order of battle team reduce their estimates, not from 50,000 to 20,000, but to 17,500. And they pr present a further revision. And then in the printed version of the order of battle team, the report of the estimated strength of the Viet Cong is now down at 16,500. So you've got an order of battle team that with their best research says the Viet Cong could be as many as 50,000 people, but they've been forced to produce an order of battle report where the Viet Cong strength is now at about um, 33 and a half thousand less than it actually is. And, and so um, then Colonel Winterbottom, knowing that this is a hot potato, puts all six members of the order of battle team under house arrest in Vietnam, won't let them return to the United States until the order of battle study has been reviewed and doctored uh, ahead of this conference where uh, General McNamara is going to be meeting uh, Winterbottom and Harkins in, uh, in Hawaii. And, and so you've got... Um, uh, several members of the order of battle team tried to blow the whistle on the fraudulent statistics, but then when they returned to the Pentagon and State Department in Washington, D.C., um, they were prevented from ex doing any kind of expose on this. Um, 
there's also um, another part of the order of battle team report. Uh, General Harkins ordered the estimates of the casualty figures of the Viet Cong to be inflated by 30%, and the casualty figures of the South, South Vietnamese uh, um, forces to be reduced by 30%. And then Harkins also knows that there's um, a problem with Viet Cong infiltration. Um, and so, uh, you know, he, he, he changes that as well. Uh, and, and then you've got um, uh, this, this conference where, uh, uh, you know, there's this whole thing about this spirit of optimism and growing confidence with the Vietnamese and, and U.S. military and civilian circles. Um, and, and, um, and McNamara is asking, how could this be so? He says, previous U.S. intelligence report has estimated the strength of the Viet Cong as 12,300 in July of 61, 17,000 in December of 62, and one month later, an estimate of 25,000, which was a, a doubling of Viet Cong forces in six months. And how one month later in, in February of 62 could there be a reason for optimism? Um, you know, so that like, there's, this, there's things that, that are fishy. And so there's a map this this called the measles map that was brought to McNamara in a conference in May of '62 that was falsified. Um, the um, General Harkins did a rehearsal the night before uh, presenting to to uh, uh, to McNamara, and he had the revised study of order of battle showing the the Viet Cong estimates not 50,000 but 16,500. But the map that the order of battle team uh, had made um, would be clear to anyone that the Viet Cong were winning the war. And so when Harkins saw the map, because they'd figured they'd 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 fiddled with the figures to reduce them um, from forty to fifty thousand to sixteen thousand five hundred, but but they hadn't seen the map. And the map makes it clear that there's all these Viet Cong all over all over the map. And so in front of the entire U.S. command before McNamara arrived, General Harkins ordered Colonel Winterbottom to peel off the numbers of Viet Cong areas on the map shown in red. And together they covered these areas, these red sections, with white areas representing South Vietnamese controlled areas. And all the U.S. command, including uh, William Kobe, the CIA station chief in Saigon, um, and another um, uh, Sir Dr. Thomas Glenn III, who was Department of Defense Special Representative, um, uh, they all, all of these people, all these uh, officials, have, have eyewitness accounts of Harkins and Winterbottom action falsifying the map in real time. Um, and so Harkins and Winterbottom uh, removed one third of all the enemy controlled areas and converted about half of the, of the neutral areas to government control. So they, you know, so first they fiddle with the figures and then they fiddle with the map. And so it's based on, on this fiddling with the statistics um, that, that McNamara was deceived and misled regarding what was actually happening on the ground. And so, um, you know, while Burns and Novick give the impression of McNamara being lost in the sea of statistics, 
they failed to responsibly report that McNamara was knowingly being given falsified doctor statistics by General Harkins and Colonel Winterbottom. And this was also being done with General Maxwell Taylor back in, uh, in the Pentagon. Taylor was also part of this. And so, um, you know, it's, it's just, uh, again, a huge omission. And, you know, it, it, you know th again, this, this is a documentary which was being uh, advertised uh, to the public ahead of its, uh, ahead of people seeing it as kind of like the definitive uh, uh, 10 episode documentary of, you know, what we need to know about the Vietnam War looking back many years, many decades later. Uh, but, but again, they completely, um, it, it's, 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 it's hard to fathom that they could not understand that this is what had happened uh, as, they're, as they're putting together their script uh, that they would choose to omit, omit this this kind of thing. Well, it's unbelievable. Uh, it reminds me of uh, you know weapons of mass destruction, Colin Powell at the uh, you know just people <laughs> just outright lying. Um, I think for the benefit of arms makers, because who who else would win? And and what would they gain? And it's a again twenty years of siphoning uh, military out of American public, their funds, and then they leave, and it just happens over and over and over again. I mean, today, modern day, they're sending $100 billion to Ukraine, and they don't stop and ask, well, you know, what started in 2014, but a different topic, but I mean, it's the same thing. You'll, you'll never get an honest reporting of, of um, what is going on in these endless wars. Yeah, and and then you get little things like you know you get to see Robert Realt again with uh, with you know special operations, and he says uh, to me it's a little bit distressing to realize you know you know that I was at my best doing something as terrible as war, but um, it's almost like, it's like for somebody who's involved in psychological operations and counterinsurgency and bombing. Uh, it seems uh, disingenuous that he really thinks it's terrible. I mean, he seems to be uh, getting a lot out of it. And so, uh, you know, people who are who are uh, seasoned at lying uh, have no problem with with uh, divulging little emotional confidences like this to to make uh, to make the viewer. Uh, understand why somebody might think, oh my God, it was so terrible. But, uh, you know, how many times do you need to plot to murder people, uh, you know, to terrorize citizens and, you know, civilians in Vietnam before, before you know, it, it, it becomes uh, highly unlikely that really you're distressed at all about what you've done. Right. Uh, now, you mentioned here, you wrote it, you know, and you talked about it, that they give you the impression that McNamara was lost in a sea of statistics. But do you recall how they did that? How, how did they make it sound like he was overwhelmed with facts and figures? Yeah. So, I mean, you know what? I mean, General Harkins, again, like he, he estimated that the Viet Cong had suffered 30,000 casualties. Um, uh, but the Viet Cong had increased their numbers to 24,000. Uh, the CIA uh, had said that the casualty figures are exaggerated or the Viet Cong had a remarkable capability or both. Um, 
while losing 30,000 in action, the Viet Cong, according to Harkins, had grown from, you know, to set 24,000 uh, and would have had to recruit 30, 37,000 men in less than 12 months. But, you know, again, the documentary uh, uh, documentarians don't mention this critique of the statistical analysis from the CIA. So, um, it, you know, they don't mention the impact of the doctor's statistics given to McNamara that shaped the policy of the Kennedy administration through 62. But I would say that that McNamara, especially, and Kennedy were growing increasingly suspicious of the rosy uh, uh, statistical calculations that they're being offered because it just didn't seem possible. Again, if the Viet Cong have lost this, these many thousands, tens of thousands of people, how come they have this many more people? Or, you know, like it seems that they have a, uh, I mean, <laughs> you know, getting uh, recruiting 37,000 people in um, in 12 months would be quite astonishing, uh, you know, to be ready to fight. So, um, it, yeah, it's, I, I, yeah, I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's just it's just jaw dropping. Yeah. OK, yeah. So um, you had the um, psychological operations and uh, these phony statistics. And uh, I, did you mention that uh, Ellsberg had written that uh, he was he was through with trying to be part of this cover up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like it was people like Robert Real that, um, you know, like led people like Ellsberg to say, you know, I thought I'm I'm not going to be part of this lying machine, this cover up, this murder anymore. And this is you know, what he wrote in his memoir, Secrets, uh, a memoir of Vietnam and the Pentagon paper. Um, so you've got this, you know, at minute 72, we've got, um, uh, uh, you know, what's going on with the withdrawal of Vietnam. And, and you know, they play an interview uh, uh, of, of, you know, JFK talking with Walter Cronkite of CBS um, in the interview, Kennedy says, in the final analysis, it's there, the South Vietnamese is war. I don't agree with those who say we should withdraw. That would be a great mistake. Um, Kennedy, you know, I, I say what Kennedy's statement reveals what he was prepared to tell the press about his plans for Vietnam withdrawal, not of what was actually unfolding behind the scenes. You know, by March of 63, Kennedy had concluded that the reports from Saigon were a deception that all these statistical order of battle stuff was clearly couldn't be right. Uh, Kennedy was making public statements like the one he had to make to concrete, concrete um, to keep the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the anti-communists in the State Department off guard. Kennedy didn't want them to suspect that his real policy for withdrawal was already moving forward. Um, but Burns and Novak don't provide you know, viewers with any other background information to, uh, to to give give them a fuller picture. Um, Kennedy um, uh, had been, you know, convinced of the need to withdraw because um, there were pessimistic reports his own advisors were bringing back by the end of 1961. Um, the reaction by the Joint Chiefs of Staff to Ambassador John Galbraith's 1962 April suggestion that the U.S. personnel should withdraw from Vietnam. Uh, Kennedy had sent Senator Mike Mansfield 
to report to the president in the fall of 62, recommending American withdrawal from Vietnam. And there was also, I forget what the Hillsman Forrestal report of February 63 was, and also the, you know, the, um, the Military Assistance Command Vietnam or the MACV statistics um, that just didn't, didn't add up. Uh, so as a result of, of what was happening behind the scenes, uh, President Kennedy uh, concluded that he no longer trusted General Maxwell Taylor and, and he didn't trust the commander, you know, General Harkins, who was reporting the statistics. Kennedy thought that Taylor was involved in the deception. Well, this reminds me of, uh, I was reading through the Foreign Relations of the United States 1963 version, Vietnam Volume 4, and Kennedy has a meeting where he sent one of his advisors, you know, secretly out there to give a report. And then he wanted everybody, you know, in the office to give a on-the-record report. Yeah. So he gives his report, and then he gets Taylor or somebody else gives a report. And they're so contrary, they're so conflicting, that his first comment was, you you both visited the same country, didn't you? Yeah. And okay. do you remember that? Because it, that, that was just so shocking. There it is, Kennedy saying, well, how can you say we're winning, we're winning? The other guy's saying, we got to get out of there while we can. This is a quagmire. We're never going to win this kind of uh, jungle war, guerrilla war. And then yeah. define win. I, I, can, I may have told you this anecdote before, but Fletcher Prouty told me this, that um, I think it was, you know, well into the war that Johnson had a map he called, uh, you know, the various people into his office and he said now listen you've got uh, so many ship navy you've got so many wing aircraft carriers you've got all this men you know 500,000 whatever um, now go out there and do it and one of the people behind him said Mr. President can you please dis uh, define it for us what is it that we can do when you say do it that will win the war for you and Johnson just came up and uh, took the admiral by the shoulder, he just led him to the door. It wasn't another word said, and everybody left. And that, you know, made the scuttlebutt that Fletcher had heard that. And the idea is that there was no place that they could just go and drop a flag and say, "Here, the war is over." Like in World War II, with um, you could go to Berlin, raise the American flag, and you say, "Hey, the war is over." But yeah. uh, unless you're going to just bomb Hanoi, but yet the most vicious fighting is in the Delta. Yeah. You know, that's another thing Fletcher said that. Um, he said, if you ever look at the map, you know, you say it looks like if Canada was attacking America, but the most vicious fighting was breaking out in Florida. I mean, how can that be? Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I mean, you've got, you've got people like, you know, Senator Mike Mansfield. I forget which, uh, which, uh, <clears throat> which state he was from, but he was, he was recommending uh, to Kennedy uh, for a complete military withdrawal in the fall of 62. And Kennedy said uh, that he couldn't, you know, successfully do that until he was reelected, uh, you know. So, like, you know, like he, you know, the plan would have been, okay, we're going to start, you know, you know, to remove a thousand uh, U.S. personnel in in December of '63, and we'll keep, you know, dribbling that out. But then once I get reelected in, you know, early November '64, then we'll get, uh, you know, ramp this up very, very steeply and and get get them out you know by uh you know by uh winter of 64 into 65 and 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 so um you know i mean there was you know there was concern about um ensuring that there would not be um uh like getting the withdrawal to happen 
in a way that wouldn't ensure, uh, you know, President Barry Goldwater or President Nelson Rockefeller, who were the, you know, key uh, primary candidates and, and, you know, for the Republicans or the most likely ones. Um, so, you know, I mean, you've got all kinds of people on record, Oregon Senator Wayne Morse and, uh, and presidential aide Kenneth O'Donnell, um, all confirming, oh, Mansfield is from Montana, all confirming, uh, you know, Kennedy's plans to withdraw, as well as, as documents that we can see from memos and, you know, declassified documents, uh, all about, uh, withdrawing, uh, U.S. personnel uh, advisors and troops, a thousand of them, starting in December '63, and and so you know it's very clear that 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 Kennedy was doing this dance. You can't always tell the press, uh, you know, because um, everything because uh, how is that hot potato going to be handled uh, by the by the hawks in in the Pentagon and the State Department, plus the. Uh, um, hawkish Democrats in Congress and the Republicans, you know, and so on. Okay, that brings us up to, um, I think the Joint Chiefs of Staff are going to meet in Hawaii. What yeah. what, what timetable do you want to just talk about that? Because uh, that was, I think, the idea that this, these plans are in, in print now. And with the NSAM 263, we are going to be pulling out. The public comment was only, you know, a thousand men were going to be withdrawn, but that meant a thousand men a month. Yeah. Yeah, so you've got, so the people who are conspiring with this, you know, this, you know, doing these, uh, uh, they've got uh, doctored uh, statistics regarding battlefield successes, doctored statistics regarding the losses of the Viet Cong, and so on. And so these people who are, who are conspiring and the, you know, and the, the generals um, are, 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 you know, they're worried uh, that, uh, a collapse on the battlefield could result in a U.S. pullout, uh, given the president's pro- prohibition against the introduction of U.S. combat forces in Vietnam. Uh, but what Kennedy does is he switches things around. And because he's got all of these optimistic battlefield success reports coming at him, um, he um, uses the optimistic uh, battlefield success reports, which are falsified, to justify getting out of Vietnam, and so he puts this order, this secret order, uh, on a thousand man, you know, withdrawal. He didn't want the Pentagon to make any statements to interpret what this would foreshadow. He only wanted his statement and Secretary McNamara's statement to be the only public comments about the withdrawal in December '63, and he wanted this to prevent any leaks regarding a timetable for complete withdrawal by the end of 965, okay, end of 65. Um, So uh, earlier in September 63, General Maxwell Taylor is informed of the plan for the withdrawal. He he wants to have a counterproposal. He wants um, uh, the President and the the Secretary of Defense to create a special unit of 1,000 men in the fall of 63 and send them to Vietnam and then withdraw them at the end of the year. Uh, but with but McNamara and, and JFK wanted to to draw down the current 16,000 U.S. personnel uh, and 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 you know just withdraw them all over a timetable. But what Matt, what General Taylor wants to do is switch them in and out. So it's like um, 
we'll, we'll, we'll withdraw these people, but we'll replace them with these other people. So we end up even Stephen. Um, but Kennedy told the press, it's our objective to bring Americans home, to permit South Vietnamese to maintain themselves as a free independent country and permit democratic forces within the country to operate, uh, which is consistent all the way through his, his uh, administration. Kennedy always believed that the war in Vietnam was a war that the Vietnamese should be fighting, you know, maybe with, with, Viet, with American personnel advising them, but not with American personnel fighting. Uh, this is also consistent with, with uh, Kennedy's position on Laos, because you have um, uh, people in the, state, in the State Department and in uh, the Pentagon that also wanted to go to war in Laos in 1960, and Kennedy scuttled that as well. Um, so three days prior to the assassination of President Kennedy, General Taylor se secretly, um, you know, gutted the thousand-man withdrawal plan issued by Kennedy on October 2nd of 63. So this is the 19th of November of 63. Taylor does this without telling the president or the vice president. Taylor tells Admiral Felt and, the joint, and others in the Joint Chiefs of Staff that he was not taking any action on Kennedy's orders. And the Pentagon papers show that more than a thousand U.S. personnel did leave in December '63, but that many of these were part of the normal turnover cycle of rotation, medical evacuation, or administrative reasons, and that they were replaced by additional deployments. So you know, so you know, even if even if Kennedy had lived, he would have had to deal with with uh, he maybe would have had to fire General Taylor, who was undermining Kennedy's orders. And and uh, as opposed to Kennedy having a thousand people withdraw in December '63, it ends up really being uh, a rotation of a thousand people as opposed to a withdrawal. Um, so it's uh, yeah. Yep. Uh, it, it's just uh, you've just got all the facts here, and it, it's you know surprising that. It's such a, a colored uh, version, you know, obfuscation and and uh, whatever you want to call it, you know, yeah. that uh, some some documentary, eh? Yeah, yeah. And in you know, in Arthur Arthur Schlesinger uh, wrote, he had a, a, a memoir called Well, Robert Kennedy: His Life and His Times. And General Taylor was asked to reflect on conversations about uh, the 1963, uh, American U S involvement in, in Vietnam. He said, I don't recall anyone who was strongly against except one man. And that was the president. The president just didn't want to be convinced, just didn't want to be convinced that this was the right thing to do. It was really the president's personal conviction that U S ground troops shouldn't go in. You know, I mean, nothing can be clearer about, uh, about, about the president's position. And, and, and so you've got uh, these kinds of, uh, of recollections by General Taylor, who was uh, an adversary in terms of po positions regarding what should be done with the Vietnam War, and they're offering these frank assessments. Um, you know, and once President Johnson was, uh, was in the, the driver's seat as the new president, he ordered, um, you know, uh, went, went hand in hand with General Taylor to... Uh, approve a plan to, uh, in mid-January of 64, to, uh, to set in motion, um, you know, uh, commando raids, U.S. commando raids, and get U.S. Air Force and U.S. Navy, which led to the Gulf of Tonkin incident, uh, and so on. So, uh, you know, it's, um, 
the, the whole PBS documentary episode, um, just, uh, it just, uh, it's, it seems it's seemingly all of this is off the radar. I mean, so again, it's either, it's either, uh, they're so convinced of a certain story, a certain mainstream narrative that's been handed down to them over, over decades that they just assume that this is all there is to see and didn't go looking for other information or they're choosing deliberately to deceive the, their viewers. Well, they're sure misleading their viewers. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and here and here and here's you know what what Kennedy had planned if he had if he had lived, he would have uh, delivered uh, an address to uh, the Dallas Trademark on the afternoon of November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, and uh, in that undelivered speech, uh, he would have said. We in this country, in this generation, are by destiny rather than choice, the watchmen on the walls of freedom. We ask, therefore, that we may be worthy of our strength and wisdom with restraint and restraint, and that we may achieve in our time and for all time the ancient vision of peace on earth, goodwill. So, again, consistent with, uh, with, with Kennedy's uh, you know, interest in, in peace uh, around the world. And um, uh, President Lyndon Johnson, um, uh, you know, had his um, Francis Bator, the deputy national security advisor to Johnson, wrote, there was a plan to withdraw U.S. forces from Vietnam beginning with the first thousand by December of 63 and almost all the rest by the end of 65. President Kennedy had approved that plan. It was the actual policy of the United States on the day Kennedy died. So, um, but, you know, uh, I mean, I, I can cite that, uh, that quote from the uh, New York Review of Books from 2008, but even though the New York Review, Review of Books in 2008 uh, published that, it wouldn't be hard to find, PBS would be hard to find, but uh, they missed that one too. <laughs> so, um. All right, we're getting to some nitty-gritty here with uh, Cables to Saigon, and uh, let's go through that. Minute seventy-five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so we've got, um, you know, Kennedy instructed uh, Ambassador Lodge in Vietnam, uh, John Cabot Lodge, to tell renegade generals that while the United States does not wish to stimulate a coup, uh, it would th not thwart one either. Uh, but JFK, uh, uh, what he didn't send that send a cable to this effect, but it was the CIA. The CIA sent a cable to Ambassador Lodge on October 9th, 63, stating, well, we do not wish to stimulate a coup. We also do not wish to leave the impression the U.S. would thwart a change of government or deny economic and military assistance to a new regime if it appeared capable of increasing effectiveness of the military effort. Um, you know, the, the narrator reads the excerpt of a cable by the CIA but attributes it to, to JFK. I mean, again, I mean, it's just flat out uh, wrong. I mean, it's deceptive, um, dishonest. Uh, the cable was sent, the JFK signed off on, um, but, uh, but, but there's a whole story about how did that cable even get agreed to? Um, you've got all these different players, Deputy Secretary of Defense, J Dr. John, no, it's Thomas Kilpatrick III, 
uh, Secretary of State Dean Rusk, CIA Director John McCone, and Maxwell Taylor. Kennedy didn't believe that all these people would be in unanimous support of a coup in South Vietnam and wanted everyone to sign on in supporting a coup before he would agree to having a cable sent to Ambassador Lodge. Um, John Newman's excellent book, JFK in Vietnam, details the politics uh, regarding what happened that led to Kennedy's signature. Um, in the National Security Council, you've got staff member Michael Forrestal, who takes advantage of, of dynamics uh, coordinating a decision about a coup. Uh, it's an August holiday weekend in America. Kennedy is in Hyannisport, Massachusetts. Uh, Dean Rusk is in New York City. Uh, George Ball, the undersecretary, is playing golf in Wheeling, Illinois. Uh, Robert McNamara is climbing a mountain in Wyoming. And Deputy Secretary of Defense, uh, Dr. Thomas Gilpatrick III, is on a farm in Maryland. And George McBundy, Special Assistant to the President for National Security Affairs, is on a weekend vacation. And so Ferris, For, Michael Forrestal, um, uh, he... Um, He's in, in touch with Avril Har Harriman, under, uh, uh, director of the Bureau of Intelligence uh, and Research, uh, Roger Hillsman, and they're all supporting a coup. And so Hillsman and Harriman send a cable draft to Ambassador Lodge. They ask Lodge to send the cable with a suggested text to the U.S. State Department. Lodge agrees and sends a cable to the U.S. State Department in support of a coup in Vietnam. Hillsman and Harriman do this without informing Secretary of State Dean Rusk. And once the cable from Ambassador Lodge is received by the U.S. State Department, Forrestal phones JFK in Hyannisport and reads him the cable from Henry Cabot Lodge. But Kennedy is not in a rust, and he told Forrestal to consult with the CIA Director John McCone. Uh, Forrestal calls a General, uh, Major General Krulak and informed him that President Kennedy was in favor of a coup in South Vietnam. So right away, um, Forrestal is, mis is, well, lying, flat out lying about what Forrestal uh, knows that Kennedy is not saying, that he's not in favor of a coup. But uh, Forrestal tells Krulak, Krulak that that's the case, and, and Krulak contacts General Maxwell Taylor uh, and lets the Joint Chiefs of Staff know about the cable that was sent. And Forrestal also told Kennedy that Taylor had told Krulak he had no objections. And, you know, Forrestal is lying all over the place and gets all of these people um, to be under the impression that they all agree. Um, but actually, President Kennedy and Dean Rusk indicated that only if all the other parties consulted were in unanimous support of a coup, that a cable was to be sent with their opinion, you know, to Ambassador Lodge. Um, you know, Gil Patrick, uh, who's, uh, you know, the, um, who's the, he, he is the, I forget his, his position. He's the secretary, he, uh, deputy secretary of defense. He's upset with what's going on, but, uh, but in any event, uh, you know, this, this, you know, Gil Patrick phones general Taylor expressing how upset he is about this policy. Uh, meanwhile, uh, CIA Deputy Director Richard Helms 
uh, new CA director McCone didn't support the coup in Viet in South Vietnam, so Helms decided not to consult McCone over the weekend. Instead, Helms signed CA approval of the cable being sent to Ambassador Lodge in support of the coup. Helms kept McCone out of the loop about the existence of a cable being sent to Saigon with the signatures of Kennedy, Gilpatrick, Rusk, and Taylor. Helms also authored a cable the CIA sent to Ambassador Lodge, which the Dur Burns Novak documentary cites and pretends is the words of President Kennedy. Now, later that night, the White House Situation Room Forrestal told Major General Kulak, uh, Kulak that the cable had been approved by all six key signatories and sent it on for Kennedy's final approval. Uh, Forrestal added he had just finished discussing it with Mr. Gilpatrick by telephone and that Mr. Kilpatrick was in accord with his content. And then Forrestal, Michael Forrestal calls uh, Kennedy and tells him the coordination is complete and that everybody, everybody's in agreement. And then this is what led to President Kennedy's signature on the cable. Uh, you know, so it's like you've got these people in the National Security Council, uh, you know, taking advantage of a weekend when people are away, you know, having a weekend off on a holiday or whatever, and uh, and misrepresenting and lying, flat out lying about about what others think in order to get the, their signatures on a uh, on a cable. And and then in that case, Kennedy said, "Everyone agrees with this. You can sign off, and we have a plan." Yeah, yeah. So, so and that so, and that plan was to uh, get just DM out of the country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's not what happened though, but. Yeah, so so it's a, it's a, a, again um, now that plan could have fallen apart. Uh, that Forrestal's deception could have fallen apart if, say, Kennedy. I mean, you've got people away, you know, golfing, uh, you know, you know, climbing mountains and so on. And so I can understand why Kennedy wouldn't have been able to reach other people by phone because they're not near a phone. And back then, you know, you, you don't even have an answering machine, never mind a, a cell phone. So, um, so uh, the, the, the telecommunications, tech, telecommunications technology of phones in, in, uh, in 63 worked to Michael Forrestal's advantage. Okay, and then we've got at, at point seven, at minute 77, uh, we learn, uh, okay, about, uh, we're introduced to a person called Duong Van May. Uh, she's in Hanoi, and she's uh, later Duong Van May in Saigon. Now, there's a, there's a scholar Viet, uh, on the Vietnam War called Thomas Bass. He notes what the documentary doesn't tell us about Duong, and, he, and I quote him, this is the maiden name of Duong Van May Elliott who's married for 40, 53 years to David Elliott, a former RAND um, Corporation interrogator in Vietnam and professor of political science at Pomona College in California. Since going to school at Georgetown University in the early 1960s, May Elliott has lived far longer in the United States than in Vietnam. Elliott herself, a former RAND employee, is the daughter of a former high government official in French colonial uh, administration. Uh, Bass details how after France left Indochina in 1954, Duong Van May Elliott moved with her family from H Hanoi to Saigon. However, her sister remained up north and joined v the Viet uh, Minh. Former Rand employee May Elliott draws upon the story of her family being torn apart by politics to reform the Vietnam 
war is a civil war. But Thomas Bass, a historian, clarifies the war divided families like hers, but anti-colonialist fighters arrayed against colonial sympathizers do not constitute a civil war. No one refers to First Indochina War as a civil war. It was an anti-colonial struggle that shaded into into a repeat performance, except that by the time Edward Lansdale and Diem had created a facsimile of a nation state, Americans loathed to help France reestablish its colonial empire in Asia could feel good about defending the white hats in a civil war. Uh, May Elliott, an eloquent and earnest victim of this war, embodies the distressed damsel who U.S. soldiers were trying to save from communist aggression. Though Duong Van May is interviewed throughout the Vietnam War series, Daniel Ellsberg, who is still alive, is not one of the people interviewed, though Ellsberg is included in some footage. So, so there's, there's this cherry-picking of who is the, um, uh, the victim, the Vietnamese uh, uh, citizen who, is, uh, who we're going to showcase as being a, uh, you know, a, a person who is distressed about what happened to her family. I mean, she's hardly uh, a person, you know, she's got all these deep connections to the Rand Corporation and, 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 and uh, you know, U.S. military, basically, um, with, with Rand, you know, and its connection with the U.S. military. So, again, um, we have a missed opportunity in telling, um, you know, telling the viewer about what's going on. Um, uh, now, on the one hand, you had... The response to the to the documentary, the Guardian reporter Tim Dowling writes, the Burns brand carries with it a sense of trustworthiness of a project other, undertaken with humility, but without an agenda beyond the truth. Uh, Jerry Kuzmaroff um, in Oklahoma wrote the Burns Novick Vietnam documentary promotes misleading history. It can be understood as a sophisticated exercise in empire denial. Well, historian Thomas Bass asks, what if the film had reminded us that the U.S. Special Forces are currently operating in 137 of the planet's 194 countries, or 70% of the world? So, you know, so it's, this is a documentary that, uh, that is um, at least looking at this one episode. I haven't looked into the others with any depth at all or even watched the whole series, but I can tell you that just this one episode uh, should raise flags about uh, both Burns and Novick as, uh, as fair and balanced documentarians and also PBS and, and whatever its, uh, its interests are to tell, to, uh, to show history to American viewers. It's such a colored version of what happened and, and it's almost worthless because you pointed out you actually learn less you're just part of the confusion and obfuscation they made a dog and pony show that if you were looking for the truth of what really happened in vietnam this didn't come close to it you know no you know you you what you what you experience as a, as a viewer is uh you get misin misinformed <laughs> and disinformed and uh, and and provided with half truths and omissions, it, it's kind of like you know there are people who who could be. It would be interesting. I don't know if there are any, but you've you've got the people that were part of the the order of battle team. Those six uh, people in that order of battle team that were you know put in uh, uh, you know uh, 
um, house arrest. <laughs> so they couldn't tell anybody uh, how the uh, general and the colonel had fixed the, uh, the, the estimates. It would be interesting to know if, um, you know, if uh, George Allen or William Benedict or, uh, or Sam Dowling or Lou, Lou Tixier and Jim Harris, if any of them are still alive in 1917, I would have liked as a viewer to have heard what they had to say about about the uh, the dishonest um, statistical manipulation by by their superior officers, but uh, but again, uh, there's an opportunity uh, I would imagine that was that would have been there, but uh, but the uh, but PBS uh, missed that opportunity as well. Well, they either missed it or they're part of the problem, and they yeah, uh, yeah. they helped fund this to make sure. Look, don't make us look bad. And by the way, anything you can do to kind of slander JFK at the same time, make him look at like it's his fault. Um, that's what happens, and yeah. uh, that's the shame. That that's the good thing about looking through your article. I urge any, everyone to read it just to get the. You've got a lot of footnotes there. I think over forty of them, and yeah. then you can just see the failing of this effort. I mean, it's it's one thing to say, well, I interviewed a guy and here's what he said. Okay, but, you know, time after time, they're obfuscating. They're just leaving out half of the story. And, um, you know, Fletcher Prouty and some other people have, have really uh, offered more to what the real story was. And you either find that uh, uncomfortable or not. Uh, but at least you get the ring of truth from it. Okay, well, that's what happened. That's yeah. what happened, right? Yeah, so, so the question, one of the questions I end up wondering after I watch this episode is, you know, who, who well, who benefits? And uh, it, see, it seems that, that who benefits uh, is not, not the memory of, of President John F. Kennedy, the assassinated president who was uh, hated by Alan Dulles and the CIA and the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, but uh, who looks good? Um, you know, you have these cameo appearances of people with Pentagon or U.S. Special Forces or or CIA or USAID, and and there is this uh, with all these people talking with you know, uh, you know, with a close up zooming in on 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 the person's head and shoulders and a black uh, backdrop behind them, all creates uh, uh, an era of of trustworthiness in official people. Who have served in official capacities that that we can look to to tell us the story we're supposed to learn or supposed to know. Uh, well, I forgot his name. You 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 mentioned it, I think, here today, but it's in your article where you say, well, as far as I recall, there was only one man who was against the Vietnam War, and that was John Kennedy. Yeah, you know, yeah. and so there he's summarizing the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, a, a lot of the advisors in the administration. They just you know. I thought, oh, we should just go ahead with this, right? We've got to stop the red menace, right? Whatever. And uh, um, I like Kennedy's speech where I'm paraphrasing here, but we, we breathe the same air, drink the same water. We've got to start getting along. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it seems that it's a, it's a lesson we still haven't learned even even today as I, as I glimpse at, uh, at some articles. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I gather over in Ukraine that uh, – uh, the Ukraine was maybe ready to uh, sit down at the negotiating table in uh, April of of 2022 until Boris Johnson showed up and said, "No, you can't, you can't 
negotiate, and I gather that uh, President, yeah, he, uh, you know, President, yeah, they said, uh, well, you know, what we did to Gaddafi, right? You know, yeah. So yeah. you'll end up like him. So yeah. and so that's how they got this actor in there to uh, portray their feelings, and uh, they're going to totally wreck that nation. And then these uh, um, Black Rock or whatever they are are going to go in and just own everything the the mineral rights, the uh, the, the agriculture, and all that, and they'll just take it over for their and and <laughs> you know it's like they keep talking about NATO, 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 and Ukraine's not even part of NATO. So. Um, um, but the thing that gets me is the eight years of bombing into the Donbass, eastern Ukraine. And it's a kind of funny thing because some people are, are um, have a very strong opinion about this. And I said, well, look, I was studying the Vietnam War, and I'm studying North Vietnam and South Vietnam, and I'm trying to figure out what happened. Fine. But if I say, well, what's happening between western Ukraine and eastern Ukraine? Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, no, no, you can't even talk about that. I said, well, yeah. there's a civil war going on. You should look into it because by studying what happened around 2014 and on, you you get an idea of what's going on. And if you don't want to get that idea, fine. But uh, it, it's... Uh, kind of your loss not to know what's really going on there and uh, somebody had a great quote that said in order to suggest a solution how we can end this we have to really know how it started and yeah. I, some people don't want to get into that they just want to start with one day Putin woke up and said I'm going in yeah. and you know well there there was a I don't know if it's still available or maybe someone could find it on on eBay or something like that there there was a uh, a um, a board game that came out around 2005, uh, based on on quotes from President George W. Bush and other other quotes from Cheney and Rumsfeld and Condoleezza Rice and on down. Uh, it was called "Wreck the Nation: The Political Game of uh, the Game of Political Misbehavior," and on the front of it is a quote: um, "Our enemies are innovative and resourceful, and so are we." They never stop thinking about new ways to harm our country and our people, and neither do we. I've heard that quote before. <laughs> and, and it seems to me that, that you know, uh, of course, you want to believe that, that the people who are your leaders of your, you know, your nation or your state or municipality um, are, are always the people that, that have the best interests uh, that are not corrupt, uh, etc. But but time and again we find that uh, that citizens have to pay attention uh, and have to hold those uh, in in responsible positions to account. Yeah. Uh, even in the way that I have in writing my article tried to uh, let people know that uh, watching a PBS uh, episode in a documentary series isn't something that we can just uh, uh, sleepwalk through yeah and and it was if you can't trust pbs then who can you trust yeah and now we're saying you can't trust anyone you that's yeah. why like you know people like joe rogan and jimmy Dore and, and the idea of black op radio that well, we're going to put out yeah. what we feel is the truth you know and uh we'll have authors and filmmakers and, and people on to discuss that but they don't get on mainstream and you know being canadian i i just watch with disbelief that there's a big anti-war protest in America. I th what was that on the February 19th? Yeah. And hardly not a word in the news at all. And then what you do get is Biden 
in the Ukraine there, as if to counter this anti-war protest. I'm going there. And, and at the same time, I think it was eight or ten days into this gigantic train crash in Ohio, which uh, some paper had called America's Chernobyl. I think 78 cars of, of yeah. chlorine or whatever. Yeah, and chlorine. no Biden at all. And then Trump is there. You see a day later, Trump is on the ground, you know, um, at least he's not throwing paper towels, but yeah. um, you know, you go, oh my, he's going to win. He's going to be back in. Never mind all the trials and all the impeachments and everything. Like he's there on the ground, and and Biden's off giving away more and more money to um, another quagmire. Yeah, well, well, you know, he, he, there would be uh, a problem not only with Biden's personal uh, decision making, but also. All of his handlers around him in the White House, there's not a single one of them uh, in the in the I'm assuming with the group think that's going on that's thinking, hey, wait a minute, maybe the president needs to go to Ohio, uh, you know, e- even if he doesn't go to East Palestine, maybe somewhere near there and, and make you know I don't know, but 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 go to Ohio and, and well, you know, I, I you think know. it was to eclipse that there was a growing anti-war movement in America and in Washington at the mall there was about 50 speakers and yeah. it was uh, you know attempting to grow, gain momentum and uh, you know that that's what I thought right okay tell you what while they're doing this we'll you know eclipse them in the news by saying we're there in America's America will be there to the last Ukrainian right and that yeah. truer words will never be spoken right yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we got to we we have to uh I know another topic and, and it's it's uncomfortable because some people are, you know, like me me saying these things it doesn't mean I'm pro Putin and I'm no. for that. I mean, evidently people were poisoned and crit- but I mean, it's just the, the it's the pot calling the kettle black like just at least understand what's going on there. It's not what you're getting in the in the press. Uh it's amazing. It's just amazing they have so much money not for America. A hundred billion. Can you imagine that? But but they, they've got that money there. And what really is happening, people in Congress are voting and they've got shares and that in these stocks and uh, these arms weapons manufacturers. And they're going full bore just because it seems like America's not building anything else. Well, they're not spending the money on bridges or train tracks. That's for sure. Yeah. No, it's... Uh, it's uh... Well, I think I think that uh, those of us that uh, that look at war and history of war, um, uh, I mean, I, I'm just I'm interested. I mean, that you know, people like Stephen uh, Cohen, I think it was his name. Um, you know, there was there was at a time in in America uh, a contingent of people who were, uh, I guess, called the Doves. You know, Cyrus Vance and other people who would always be. Uh, credible people that would be looked to, that the press would interview, who would take the position of the need to urge for, uh, for diplomacy, whether in Israel-Palestine or whatever the theater of war or, or you know, uh, looming tensions. But it seems that these days it's, it's very hard to find uh, any, anyone, although, you know, I, I, could, I did watch a little bit of the, uh, you know, Tulsi Gabbard, Dennis Kucinich, and and a few others who are who who were who were speaking about the need for a diplomatic solution, and and, and I I mean I've 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 been surprised at how uh, how some people seem to be, think that maybe dropping a nuclear bomb on Russia or 
or or or encouraging Ukrainian troops to 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 head on toward Moscow. I, I just uh, I, I I don't see that. <laughs> yeah, well, get ready for the other shoe to drop when uh, China starts uh, supplying Russia as well, mm-hmm. or take gets into that and saying, uh, "Your little game you're playing in Taiwan here, right? You know, uh, it's about time we flexed our muscles." And then what the hell? I mean, right? So. Yeah. Anyway, well. <laughs> anyway, we, um, it's a good thing we live in Canada and we don't have any troubles here. Uh-huh. I, I like it. I think, uh, you know, uh, given... Okay, we'll talk about that next time, <laughs> but uh, you have other articles that I'm very interested in, so I'll be very glad to have you back. Jeez, we've almost been two hours today and it just went by like nothing. Okay. Um, I urge everyone to read uh, your article. It may save you having to sit through this um, PBS documentary if you hadn't already seen it and it's just of interest so that you watch some of these things with a more critical mind right like i see these guys saying that but is that true and now you go look it up and you go yeah. what the hell yeah yeah and i i think i think as well uh i mean there there are for some for some people in society there is uh, a lure to always want to to trust the person in authority uh, and I've heard this over the years. You know, somebody will say, "Well, you know, the president or, or the prime minister, they must know something that I don't know." You know, you know that, that that's yeah, why they're because you know, know it doesn't make sense to me. So yeah. uh, you know, yeah. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. But I think that uh, unless uh, you know, for for democracy to work, you need citizens to pay attention, to scrutinize, to ask questions, uh, to not to not be simply Assuming that the people who are being critical and asking questions are the problem. Okay, well, the article was uh, The Vietnam War Riding the Tagger, The Problems with Ken Burns' Vietnam Documentary. And uh, thank you so much for taking the time to go through this minute by minute and, uh, and illuminate some of these problems. And I'll be glad to speak to you in the near future. Okay, great, 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 Lynn. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Ray. Okay, bye-bye.